This podcast is brought to you by Mabel, an intelligent, low-code test automation solution. Mabel helps agile teams create, execute, and maintain their automated tests while improving overall application quality. Start testing free at Mabel.com. Welcome to TestSphere Roulette, the podcast where my panel guests could be asked to discuss any testing topic decided by randomly selected TestSphere cards. I'm your host, Simon Pryor. Let's talk testing. Hello and welcome to episode six of TestSphere Roulette, the podcast where my guests will get to talk about testing topics based on randomly selected TestSphere cards, including the expansion pack. Um, I'm joined again today by two two more testing superstars. I'll get them to introduce themselves now, starting with Caro. Hi, Simon. Thanks for having me. I'm absolutely uh, excited to be on the podcast. So I'm Caro Stolzenberg. I'm a quality engineer currently working at Ada Health in Germany. Um, I've been uh, involved in the testing community for a while because I've run the Cambridge Ministry of Testing meetup uh, for a few years. Uh, I do love all things testing because I think it's such a diverse and creative activity and you get to collaborate with a lot of people. So that is has been absolutely fantastic. Never regretted that career choice. And I'd like to share an interesting fact about myself. Um, I actually learned to swim in the middle of a desert in Saudi Arabia because I grew up there um, for a couple of years. I was living there. And when I was about four years old, um, I started to learn to swim. And there was that. Was that. Wow. I don't think I've had something that um, out there before. So that's a, that's a fantastic story. Um, that's amazing. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, thank you, Caro. Uh, Lewis? Yes, hi. I'm Lewis Prescott. I'm currently a QA lead at a startup called Seracare, who are helping um, revolutionize the, the care sector. Um, so that's pretty exciting. I've been in testing for a while, um, worked at companies like Cancer Research and ASOS. I'm a big ambassador for um, contract testing, so that's what I usually tweet about. Um, an interesting fact about me, once I cycled from London to Paris um, over two days. Wow. Okay. You're both putting me to shame now with your stories. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have anything this exciting. Excellent. Okay. Um well, it's great to have you both on here. Uh, so thank you for accepting the invites. Um, let's let's spin the wheel. Are you ready for us to spin the wheel for the first time? Go for it. Excellent. Let's go. Okay, I'm spinning the wheel now. And it stopped on uncertain, which is a feeling, negative feeling. You're doubting yourself. You can't be mm. sure and you don't have enough information to be confident. The team requires you to test in a way you've never tested before. Security performance or some other aspect needs to be investigated. This is uncharted territory for you. Well, where do we start? <laughs> to, to me, this always feels like the feeling of testing, right? Because it's such unknowns that we're dealing with and we need to become experts in so many different aspects um, so quickly because we support um, multiple developers, but also business analysts, maybe people from the data team, um, maybe UX research. Um, so I, I don't 
particularly enjoy it, but I'm I'm trying to embrace it because I think it's just part of being a tester. And for me, the beautiful thing about it is that um, it comes back to the to the collaboration aspect of it. Um, because I'm I'm not there to solve everything on my own. I can admit that I feel this uncertainty that I don't know something, and I can ask for help and pair and collaborate with the people in my team. And especially if it's a technique or an approach that we hadn't tried before, I can try to bring that up early. I don't know about this. Uh, can we look at this together? Maybe while we're already in the design phase, and that then often um, in my career led to a beautiful outcome of having learned a lot on that new area, but also having learned on that in my team together with other people. So while I don't enjoy it, um, I'll try to embrace it. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think a lot of what we do is about being uncertain and also raising those uncertainties, right? Like, we can never know everything about our software, but what we can know is that we are uncertain about it. So I think raising those things and often the tester is is the person to raise that uncertainty. Other people are looking at the requirements that are written down, whereas people aren't looking at what's not written down. And I think that's where the, the, the uncertainty absolutely comes in. I've actually got a, a personal experience of exactly this uncertainty so when i worked for a consultancy um my my line manager was like do you want to join me on this project it's a performance testing project i'd i'd never done it before i'd done one day of training on performance testing as part of my graduate scheme so i was very new to the project got thrown in um there was another senior performance tester on board um, but they obviously weren't aware that I'd, I'd only learnt it for a day. They, they thought I'd had a bit of experience, you know. Um, so, yeah, I was thrown in at the deep end and just kind of, yeah, learnt on the job. But hopefully it didn't come across that I was too much of a beginner. Um, but those kind of opportunities do kind of shape you, I think, uh, and really show you what you are capable of. Um, like I'm forever grateful for what my alum manager did because it really was a stepping stone for me to to build my confidence as well that I can I could do that, you know, like learn something so quickly and, and apply it in in that context. So yeah, that's my my personal uncertainty. Yeah, I think it's a it's a um like you say it is is a is a feeling that we all feel very regularly from a test perspective and it, it kind of goes hand in hand with imposter syndrome as well um especially as you're learning more and more bits and pieces of a system um and you do have to do something you've not done before or you're put into a role that you've never done before and i've i've certainly felt that as well as i've moved into more senior positions where you're responsible for larger groups or or the overall testing of a whole project etc cetera, etc cetera. and and suddenly it's all eyes on you and you're like oh hang on a minute these decisions that I, mm-hmm. i'm now in charge of making um could impact the whole quality of the system and yeah it's absolutely that that feeling of uncertainty of what if i get this wrong what's going to happen are <laughs> <laughs> we testing it in the right way um do i trust everyone that's doing the testing are, are they are they are they covering everything they need to cover um, and it's that kind of link to that letting go and letting your team do the work rather than you, you wanted to do it all yourself as well. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Probably not on that management level, but one thing that really worked for me in the past was dealing with uncertainty is trying to reframe that mm. as a curiosity aspect yes. because a negative feeling can really block you Absolutely. and then switch it around. I'm curious about this. What can I learn? Uh, what are the open questions? Kind of what are the things I need to raise? And that really helped me. Yeah, I was going to bring up imposter syndrome as well because I really think that it's it's something that does hinder people. And I think people really eat, eat that so that up within themselves. And they, they really think, Oh, I'm, I'm not good enough. Or this, this person knows more than me on the topic. So I'm not going to say anything. But I think the thing to raise about that is it's a scale, right? Like I think everyone has this uncertainty and this, this level of imposter syndrome, just other people, either hide it better than others or just have less of it, right? Some people have this exert this confidence out of somewhere. Um, but yeah, I think I think a thing to raise on that is that and so as you say, is uncertainty is a good thing to raise. And like if you're uncertain about it, I'm sure someone else is. Um, so yeah. So just um, just going back to the card then, just reading one of the other comments on there, it says, um, the time has come, release decisions have to be made, and people ask you for your test report and advice. Um, in that scenario where you're feeling uncertain, what would you say in that point? How would you articulate it? Can we just address the elephant in the room, which is a test report? Well, yeah, there is that as well. <laughs> yes, absolutely agree. <laughs> <laughs> So I often use something like uh, um, splitting my answer in three parts and especially on how, what did you cover in your testing. So in previous releases, this is what we've seen. Now in this releases, this is what we've done. So that's why we hope that tomorrow will actually go nicely. Um, so these kind of things, because often when you put on the spot like that, you freeze. Mm. And then if you can um, structure your response in like a timeline, so like I've just done previous now in the future, that can help me. But yeah, it's a, it's a big one because I think as a tester, I often am more um, afraid or more, I, I've seen all the bad stuff. Um, so I know that I can only bring my um, specific perspective, but I think other perspectives on a release are very important as well. So I'm just one voice, I think, in the in a mix of things. Yeah, for me, it's a, it's definitely about getting everyone's input. So, yeah, I, that's why I'm so against these test reports because <laughs> it often falls on one person. Um, but when it's a collaborative approach, right? Um, if you can get that um, common understanding of, of what the assumptions are, of what the gaps are, of what the risks you think are. Um, then you can get everyone to be on the same page. And I think that alleviates a lot of the uncertainty and a lot of the pressure that comes on that on that release call. Yeah, I would agree with that. Definitely. It's definitely there's got to be that collaborative approach and, and highlighting the risks and the concerns that you've got and also talking about the good things as well, just to make sure that everyone's comfortable with the positives as much as the negatives. Yeah, for cool. sure. Good. All right, shall we move on to the next card? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Excited. I'm I'm spinning the wheel again. Then.
Okay, and it's landed on a orange card, which is patterns, disaster control, approach. What's the worst thing that could happen? Is your team prepared? Are you practicing CYA? Not sure what CYA is. I'll come back to that in a second. Your app produced a legal contract, which is wrong. How is it detected? Who fixes it? And what are the implications? So what's the worst that could happen? Is that a question that you ask yourselves regularly? It's Dr. Pepper slogan, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I definitely don't ask that question enough. That's for sure. Um, I think... Often on big releases, we may ask that question, but definitely not on a regular basis. We we sometimes think about this big um, approach, right, that we do something like risk storming with a team, a big session which we organize. Um, but I think that's great. That's fantastic. It really is, is a, a good team collaboration and brings everybody to focus on the risks and what could go wrong. But I think also um, that question can be asked a lot when we already think about the ideas or when we, um, when I test something and I usually check in before with the developer. So how did that feel? How did the implementation go? Is there anything that um, you're aware that I should have a look at that you feel a bit insecure about? I also ask what's, what's the worst that can happen or I ask that when we um, talk about a story um, because then everybody kind of thinks. Um, about that and I definitely would agree with Lewis that question needs to be asked all the time and could obviously be asked uh, way more often than I probably also do in my uh, career but um, I, I try to do it as regular as possible because I think not just in these like risk storming meetings where we dedicate time to focus on it this can come up, come up in any discussion that we have around releasing planning yeah so I guess I've, I've got um a good experience for for this one. So um, when I worked at ASOS, where obviously Black Friday sales are absolutely huge for the company, it's like a quarter worth of the, the income for the whole year. So it's across, what, two days? So it's 24-7 support. Every single team is involved in that support rotor. So we literally, like scale up to the absolute max right for that day so we mitigate the risk of disaster by just throwing as much resources as we can at it um so yeah i guess that's one way to look at it right is is when you're looking at disaster is maybe the option is to just <laughs> cover all bases i guess in terms of having as much support as possible involved, doing your trial runs before before the day happens. Um, in terms of like performance, for example, we have um, on our test environments, we have a continuous load. So, well, we had, we had a continuous load. Um, so those kind of, <laughs> scenarios are always covered so yeah i guess in terms of disaster you want to make sure that you're kind of simulating that that approach as much as you can yeah i would agree i would agree with that it's kind of that um almost capacity assessment as well just making sure that you've got the right um things in place to to check that you can to manage that load without creaking at the seams kind of thing um yeah so what about in the scenario where 
you know, are you prepared for things? Do you have the discussions where you're prepared for things? Let's say the database goes down, you know, the core database goes down, something's broken in the database. Um, how long do, does it take for us to roll back? How long does it take for us to get everything back up and running again? Are they are they discussions that you would be feel part of and 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 contribute to in those scenarios? Absolutely. <laughs> so we've done things like chaos engineering as well, where we have like the different parts of the system, and then what happens when we take one yeah. out? Yeah. So what actually fails? Or and also this is a nice exercise in how easy can you detect what actually happened so how good is your monitoring how good is your observability how good are your alerts so these kind of um dry runs of disaster scenarios i absolutely love because you learn so much about the system that you're running in yeah and then one thing that i learned recently um to not forget about our third-party dependencies. So it's nice to look at your system and you can control that and you can test that, but then also think about, are there any third-party things that you're actually dependent on? Maybe um, an application that's hosted somewhere else. Um, how easy can you reach their support when that goes down? How can you mitigate that? What actually happens when that goes down? Because that's not directly under your control. Um, and I think these kind of scenarios on an application basis are useful, but then also um, we sometimes hear it in the news when uh, Facebook goes down mm -hmm. and then you start to think about, okay, what, what was the root cause? You'll read through their postmortems and you think, could something like that happen to us? Yeah. And then that is something you can go first to the drawing board to think about the scenario and then wonder, can I actually test that? Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely good to learn from from those external um, newsworthy stories as well. I mean, obviously there was Tesco this week as well, which again taking learnings away from those and and being able to make sure you know if that happens to us, how do we respond? Having those conversations, yeah, really good. Any other thoughts on this topic? I think again coming back to the point about collaboration is um, getting everyone involved, like. DBAs, your DevOps team, um, because everyone offers a different point of view. And yeah, I think that's the thing with disaster, like coming back to that Facebook thing, right, is that that was incredibly hard to discover. And presumably it was a team that wasn't, wasn't even within the picture of when you would do this exercise so yeah i think as many people you can get in the room to kind of get all heads together to think about these things the better yeah i would agree okay uh well let's move on to the final card then um so if you're ready I'll, i will spin the wheel again <laughs> some reason ah there we go it stops uh, and it's a red card so that's one of the expansion pack it's observability related so it's alerting so trigger monitor for unwanted behavior such a such as a high number of error codes over a short time have alerts in place to warn you before your users do you can and should alert based on business metrics you want to know if your new order calls are close to zero for an extended time to investigate why yeah, it's another really good one. 
I think with with alerting especially, it's one of those things that you should probably think about before you even start building your application. Um, and especially before you start releasing <laughs> um, what you're, you're, um, you're delivering, because yeah, I think that's one of the, the key things, right? Is how, how do you measure success? And I think your alerting come, comes into that heavily, um, especially from a quality metric. It's one of the things that I'm trying to like educate people on within um, the startup world is that delivering features actually um, has a big impact, obviously, on your investment and things like that. But actually, your reputation is, is huge in terms of that. So your alerting and obviously the, the wider picture of your observability, how quickly you can recover from these alerts um, is a huge part of that. To me, really interesting recently on alerting wars, the differences between your production environment and your test and staging environments. And I recently set up an alert um, on our production environment um, and then just copy pasted that onto staging and testing just to see what happens. Um, is that useful or isn't it? And it turned out to not be useful at all. So first of all, I didn't have the amount of data to alert on, on the staging and testing environments. And then that really brought the point across that you're interested in different things. So while you're testing something, especially something new, you might be interested in any error showing up because you're not expecting any. Um, and you have um, less load and um, you're looking for specific patterns. Whereas monitoring your production of course you're also interested in errors but you're also interested in what can you learn from the behavior of your users how is the response time for your users um, over time with the load that is on your production environment you're learning about the load of your production environment as well so how divided the um, view and the the questions you have against the different environments i thought that that came nicely across um, through just looking more at the alerts that we actually have And can I reuse them through my test environments as well? Touching upon the business metric um, they are mentioned. So I think one of the things that is really hard to capture in alerts, right, is that visual representation of, okay, this is what happened last week. And this is a comparison of this week. With an eye, you can see that very easily. But putting that into a quantifiable metric which your alert triggers is actually really difficult and all these kind of smart um what i mean they call them whatever machine learning metric um alerts or something like that on azure um do, i don't know i've never tried to use them or have them in my um, alerting system, but I don't know whether that would actually capture those kind of things or you still need that human element of going in and, and checking, okay, this best business metric looks looks odd, you know? I don't know whether you guys have a view on that. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder the same because we sometimes see, you see a high increase in load on your system, right? And then you can link that back to actually there was some advertisement running and we were mentioned. 
and now we have more load in the system. And this isn't a bad thing. This is fantastic. So we're not being attacked. Um, we're being used. But uh, to make sense of that, um, that often requires, uh, or yeah, I don't know. I, I often think it's helpful if somebody actually looks at that and tries to make sense of it. Mm, yeah. So, so would you would you see? I'm, I'm I'm guessing I know the answer to this, but would you see alerting as being something that's planned as part of a story when you're writing the original requirements and and stuff and acceptance criteria for a story? Would you be looking at it at that point that if there's a feature that needs alerting, we need to have that uncovered as early as possible so that we can develop it in the right way? Because I've seen too many cases where it's been oh we'll, we'll we'll develop all the code, get it all ready to go, and then we'll think about the alerting later, and actually just ends in disaster. Yeah, I've been there too many times where alerting is a, a story. You have an alerting story, yeah. and then, yeah, you come and do, you do a big bang approach, and then obviously the coverage is is terribly poor. Um, and, yeah, it's all an afterthought. Um, another approach is you have, a, you have incidents that happen, and you create alerts back on the back of incidents. Obviously, that incident probably isn't going to happen again because you've, you've written a, a ton of tests around it now and you've also made it super robust so it's got retries and, and catches and, and all that stuff. Um, so that's another approach that I've seen in my experience as well. So any thoughts? So best practices then is to, to, to think about it at the start and make sure it's incorporated as part of the implementation. Would that be the, the agreed approach? I, I would wonder, so I've never planned for alerts straight from the beginning because um, alerts can be very tricky. So when when's your threshold? When do you want to alert on? So what I plan for is the, the testability aspect. So how can I test yep. it? How can I observe the system? Um, is this linked up to my monitoring? Is my monitoring fantastic? Of course, fantastic. Then all good. And then while we test and roll out and maybe do dog footing internally to have more users on it or do some performance testing, then we'll learn more about how it behaves and how we can observe it. And that will give us then input into, are there any alerts we want to set up? Roughly, um, I think. So just to put it in, I've never put it in as an, a kind of a, a topic and we need to have alerts on that. I'd rather want to learn more about the systems. Um, but it I, probably depends on the feature or yeah. the product yeah. as well. Yeah, I think it's really important to get people to think about it when you're writing the story is to think about it. But I think that's an observability conversation, as mm -hmm. you say, rather than a specific alerting one. Um, because if you can observe on it, then you should be able to set up a, an alert on it. Um, but yeah, what I was saying earlier about quantifying it, I think that's that's one thing that still baffles me to this day is is how you kind of quantify some of these things because like a server it's easy to quantify right like you've got this amount of cpu so you can you can monitor on that but when you're monitoring a feature as you say about traffic or um logins or whatever what what does that mean it's so hard to come up with those things i guess there's that getting that balance right as well between too much alerting so you're alerting on absolutely mm -hmm. everything and not enough alerting um, because, you know, you don't want to be woken up for things that are not important. But equally, you know, if you're not alerted for anything, yeah. then how do you know how things yeah. are? So, so, so how do you go about getting that balance? 
that comes back to what um, we we're saying about the difference between test environments and production, right? So often you turn them off in test because yeah. they would trigger all the time, right? Yeah. But but then do you not actually know that they're working or not? So it's it's such difficult balance. And um, yeah, I think the alerting thing. I would much rather have have the alert go off and be like, oh, okay, it's it's fine. Um, it, I know that that's the case, but then obviously, yeah, it's, it is that balance and finding that balance. But I've never found it yet, so I'm happy to <laughs> have people's feedback on that. But it's fantastic to see how our testing mindset can actually work there as well. So setting up alerts, how do you test your alerts? Are there false positives? Um, how can you make sure they work? How can you, um, even if you have known failures, how do you, what is a good practice to um, maybe exclude that from the alerts for a while, uh, which is really interesting as well. So I've recently set up an alert um, to check something and I knew there were some known issues still in there. So I put in a negative alert, which looked for those occurrences still to be there and it would alert me as soon as they were gone. Uh, so that I then knew, okay, now I can add these things to my um, positive alert, to my real alert. And that was really useful. And that's something that comes from uh, test automation, right? So you have, you know, this test case and your test automation is failing right now. Um, so you can update and approaches to update the expectation and then it starts failing when that issue has been fixed and you can then add that on as well. And I thought kind of so many transferable skills from testing into this observability world and world of SRE and um, these kind of things. That's a really, really interesting thought about having that negative alert. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, I'd not heard of that either. So that, that, that they, I've learnt, definitely learned something new today. Thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for thank you for taking part in the three cards. Um, I hope you've enjoyed those conversations. I certainly did. Um, did either of you have anything, have anything you wanted to plug and maybe tell the audience how to get hold of you if they want to reach out and talk to you more? Lewis, start with you. Yes, I have a um, 99 minute workshop coming up, um, which I'm super excited about um, on introduction to contract testing. So I've talked about this topic a lot, never done a workshop on it. Um, so it's my first time and yeah, it'll be interesting with, with the 99 minute format. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, yeah, you can reach out to me on Twitter I'm Weed Prescott, um, and then obviously all the normal LinkedIn, everything like that. Excellent. Thank you. Caro? Cool. I'll join that 99-minute workshop because contract testing is something that we uh, discuss uh, right now that I'll be looking into soon, but haven't yet done before. So that's going to be fantastic. Awesome. Um, yeah. Love it. Uh, so I've recently run a 99-minute workshop on note-taking. That was part of the Essential series. So I wanted to point you guys all to it. So Essential is like building blocks of the basis of um, software testing. And it's a curriculum. And there will be further sessions coming up, which should be super interesting. And you can find them as a loose talk on the 99-minute workshop events page for Ministry of Testing. So that will be good i think and you can reach out to me on twitter as well so i'm carol stoll um yeah and then 
LinkedIn and, and what have you not. Brilliant. Thank you. I, the Essential series is something I, I, I need to get sort of closer to because I, with my own research into make a tester and universities and teaching testing, it'd be good to sort of work out what's 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 the best way to get more people learning testing and how we can bring that essentials to a, a wider audience would be really good. So, yeah, nice. definitely. Brilliant. Well, thank you both for um, taking your time today. Um, really appreciate it. Um, I hope you enjoyed being part of it. Um, and for the listeners, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, there's Testphere Pod on Twitter um, or, or reach out to me, uh, Lead Test Include, and we can look at whether you want to be a guest in the future episodes. But um, yeah, thank you all again. Uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank you to the guests and thank you for listening. For more information on Testphere, check out riskstormingonline.com or buy the card decks from the Ministry of Testing store. Music courtesy of zapsplat.com. We'll see you for more roulette again soon.